But today I want to talk about where was Jesus before Bethlehem? And why is that important? Because, because it is. Where was Jesus before Bethlehem? What was he doing? Why, why is it important where he was? Or, or was he? Some of you may not, that might have been a question like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I thought he was born in Bethlehem. Well, he was. But just so you know, he was somewhere else before he went there. And, uh, it, there, and it, it's important for us to know about that. It, it's important because of who Jesus is um, and, and who he was is back then. <laughs> um, because he never was, he never will be, always is the great I am. He is always is. Uh, but he was, he is, and he is to come, the Bible tells us. Uh, and so I want to talk to us today a little bit about it. And, and it's a little bit detailed. I'm going to try not to get bogged down. I got a lot of scriptures just to, to show you what I'm saying. And, and so I might have to kind of rush through some of that. So hang in there with me for that. Um, and we'll read this passage in just a moment. Let me start it by saying, you ready for, you need to pray? Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, Monty passed out back there or something, and he's upright and responsive, so we're thankful. But children, you may go with Pastor uh, Stephen now. Every, everything's good. So uh, Brother Monty had a bit of an emergency out there. So we'll pause and let the children go. And please, in your heart, say a prayer for Brother Monty right now. If you don't know who Monty is, that's okay. God does. If you'll say a prayer as well. Maybe as a way of understanding it is to say, if, if I asked you, number one, if I asked you, where, where are you reading in your Bible right now? What, where are you having your quiet time? I, I know the Sunday school answer to that question. It's the Psalms, right? <laughs> and if you ask somebody their favorite verse, it's Jesus wept, right? Um, because we have to have these answers ready. And, and, uh, and, and if you're not reading in your Bible, and so if you are reading your Bible, and I, and I don't mean, I'm, I'm not condemning anyone. We all have had those times in our life or, or been there before, so we're all the same. Don't, don't sweat that. I, I want you to be reading your Bible, and you ought to be studying in your Word. But, but even when we do that, we tend to kind of try to avoid everything between Genesis and Malachi. We're kind of interested in Genesis because it's the beginnings. And there's a lot of cool, mysterious stuff in Genesis. I preached through it. took me, what, two years, a year and a half, or I don't remember. But I wanted to start over when I got done because I learned so much. I wanted to go back because I'd learn even more. It's so rich. But we, we kind of tend to stay away from the Old Testament. We, and, and, and the reasons for that can be various. Uh, sometimes we might think, oh, it's not really for Christians. That's for the Jews back then. That would be wrong. Uh, it, it's, for, it's for us. Um, and maybe it's, well, I have trouble understanding it. And I, and I understand that. Uh, the first, the first uh, 17 books of that, uh, make sure I get that right. First 12 books, I'm sorry, uh, are books of history. The last 12 are prophets. I'm trying to get the numbers right in my mind. No, it is 17, 17, 17. And then five in the middle are wisdom. It's about the Psalms, the Proverbs, and all, all that wisdom. And these prophets at the end were the ones preaching over there in the history. And if you don't like chart that out, it can get confusing. And I don't know about you, but I come with some of those words in the Old Testament, and I can't say them either. 
So you just say watermelon or Jerusalem and keep moving because you just, you have no clue how to pronounce that. It's a different language. It's, it's not how our tongues uh, form words. But here's the deal. God's plan has never changed. Period. I, we, we were talking about the fear of God this morning in Sunday school. Did you know that the mathematical scientific possibility for a world like the one we live on to exist in the universe is less than point one or point zero 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 one percent. It is it is infinitesimal. For there to be two worlds like the one we live on becomes an astronomical impossibility. So just mathematically, we're for some reason, we're in the center of God's attention. That he even made this world. And God had a plan. And, and Peter says that Jesus was known before the foundations were laid. Before the foundation of the world was laid, Jesus already knew he was going to the cross. That's in 1 Peter 1.20, if you care to look. Uh, and... And here I want to read Ephesians and, and listen to what it says in verses 9 and 10, Ephesians 1. I, usually we stand up, but just listen very reverently if you would and, and listen. Making known to us the mystery of his will. There's a lot that goes on before that. I, I, I'm just having to read a couple of verses because I got so much. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So God had a will. He had a purpose, and he set it all in Christ. And it was a mystery, Paul says, until now. <laughs> until Paul and the apostles came along. And he says in verse uh, 9, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. And notice here is the plan in one simple sentence. To unite all things in him. What is the antecedent for him? Christ. We're talking about Christ. Things in heaven and things on the earth. That is that in Christ all things are brought together. Ephesians goes on to say um, that all these things come together. Uh, and God put them, Jesus in authority, and it all comes together in the church. That of all men, God is making one people. It doesn't matter if you're white, brown, yellow, black, or some other shade. God is made of, out of one man all the nations, and out of all those nations, he is making one people in the church. Earlier I said the Old Testament is for us. I will say this and I'm going to repeat it the Old Testament is a Christian set of books it is all about Christ and I'll say more about that in a minute because it is God's plan and he told us from the very beginning what he was going to do and so where was Jesus before Bethlehem he was with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as this what we would say second person the Trinity God the Son eternally he was God from the beginning when there is no beginning because there's no beginning with God he always was and he always will be 
And John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later on it says, the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us that we could see God, that He would be that express image of God. That, that Jesus Himself came to pay for our sin, that God Himself put on flesh to live with us, and He accomplished that in the person of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to take home with you today, if you don't take anything else home, is this. Jesus is all in all and always has been. That the whole Bible talks about Christ. There's not a page you can turn to in the Bible that does not speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because if I wanted to illustrate that, I would start at Genesis 1-1 reading to you. And I would read till I get to the end of Revelation and go... See, (laughs) it's just, it's there. It's so much. Colossians 1 talks about how he made everything and he holds everything together. Ephesians talks about it. Colossians talks about it, about his might, his power and what he did. So I want to give you kind of a simple outline. I'll I'll try not to complicate it as I go. And and I got to say that I got this idea from someone else and I'll just go ahead and say that. Um, I'll quote him at the end of of this sermon, something he said. He just said it so well. I'm going to quote him. But I got these ideas from him that we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. And sometimes we see him as a pattern. That God draws a picture that becomes a pattern of what Jesus would be like. Sometimes he's promised or pledged. I'm using the word pledged. He has pledged to us that he will show up, that he will come. And then thirdly, he is present. He's actually there. In the Old Testament, Jesus shows up. Now, we don't know exactly what he looked like, but he looked like a man. He looked like a man to Abraham. He looked like a man, uh, well, looked like a man to Abraham. He revealed himself to to Moses and uh, to some other people. And so, he was with the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace with Daniel in the lion's den. He's all over. So I'm going to follow that outline. Let me just explain what those three words mean. Jesus is patterned. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament is Jesus-shaped. Once you start seeing the scripture in, in, through Christ, you begin to go, oh, I get it. You know how you, you learn something and then you realize that you had been learning that all along, but you didn't understand it until somebody put it all together? That's what happens to us in the scripture. It was said to me many years ago by a wise man that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And when we study the Old Testament, we come to the New Testament and we learn of Christ and we go, oh, I get it. There it is. It's all about him. In fact, uh, I got a text in here somewhere listed, but in John, Jesus tells, tells them, you study the scriptures. And remember, they didn't have the New Testament when he was here. It was all Old Testament. For these are they that testify of me. Jesus tells us the Old Testament is about him. So he was a pattern. It's Jesus shaped. See, the the story is as broad as the Old Testament, but each little fractional part of it uh, is is a piece of that picture. So it's it's sort of like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. If you don't have all the pieces, you don't get the whole picture. And you got to see all of it uh, to, to start to get it. So Paul points out this Old Testament pattern in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 through 11, 11 verses. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to read two verses, verse 4 and verse 9. 
Listen, listen to what those two verses say in 1 Corinthians 10. That they all drank the same spiritual drink. What's he talking about? He is, he is talking about the Jewish people in the Exodus. They're in the wilderness. And remember, God gave them water out of a rock. You remember that? And the Bible says, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So, Jesus shows up as a rock there. He's also the pillar of fire. He's the pillar of smoke. But look at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 10. If you turn there, listen to it at least. Um, Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Jesus was with them. They could see him, yet they were destroyed because they would not believe in him. And Paul points out that that we must not put Christ to the test as some did. I'm sorry, verse 9 is one I meant to read to you. For they drank the same spiritual rock, followed them, and the rock was Christ. And we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Jesus spoke to them in the wilderness. Jesus is also a pledge. He promised he would come. The Old Testament saints were looking forward to a coming Messiah. The people in Jesus' day were crying out for the Messiah to come. They were looking for him. Many false Christ rose up. You can read about that in history. You can read about it in the New Testament. They talk about some of those false Christ that claimed to be the Messiah. But Jesus, Paul, and Peter point out that Jesus was promised to us. In the book of Luke, this is one of the coolest passages in the Bible, by the way. It's Luke chapter 24. It's after Jesus died and was buried and he rose again. And two guys were in Jerusalem and they saw what happened. And they are just like freaked out. And so everything's happening. They're hearing this rumor. Peter and them are saying, Jesus came around and said, what's going on? And they're walking home. And while they're walking home, somebody showed up. Some guy just on the trail kind of showed up and said, hey, what are you guys talking about? said, well, don't you know what happened to Jerusalem? said, no, what happened? said, wait a minute, what, you some kind of stranger? And, and so when they finished telling him, they said, we're just not sure about this. And here's what it said in verse 25 of Luke 24. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And all the prophets, that's all those preachers of the Old Testament. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It was Jesus himself. And he took the Old Testament. It's the greatest sermon ever preached and we don't know what he said. God didn't give that to us because us preachers would never study. We'd just get up and say that every Sunday again. Because all the Old Testament is about Christ. And Christ himself told these two guys all of that. In Acts 26, Paul said, To this day I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand testifying 
to both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and the Gentiles. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God, and well, that's the ones I just read, sorry, um, I missed uh, the book of Acts, Acts uh, 26. I knew, I knew there was a mistake, I couldn't figure it out, and that's what it was. In, in Acts 26, listen to what Paul says there, as soon as I can turn my page. Uh, that was Peter, what I just read. Acts 26, 22, and 23. Paul's speaking. To this day, I've had the help. That come, well, I'm sorry, that is, that is Peter. I'm getting both of them at the same spot. Sorry. Let me just, please forgive me there. That... that but Peter says that also that Christ would die and for us. And so Jesus was pledged for us. And it's, I, I won't even turn there. First Peter 1, 10 to 13. You see, the faith of the Old Testament is the same as the faith of the New Testament. Faith is faith. It's faith in, in the promises of God. That we, we trust God is going, to, is going to take care of us. And I, and I hope you wrote that reference down. First uh, Peter uh, I wrote it down, but I didn't copy it right. First um, uh, Peter 1, 10 through 13. I got it. I'm going to read it. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news, news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. All faith is messianic faith. Because in the Old Testament, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And we are the sons of Abraham by faith in a Messiah that has come. They had faith in a Messiah to come. And Jesus is sometimes present in the Old Testament. In Abraham, to Abraham, he was the great I am. In John 8, Jesus said, your father Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. And the Pharisee said, you're not even 50 years old. You knew Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the great I am. And he says it to the Pharisees that he took on the name of God, that he is God himself. The Lord was the one that moved in Moses. In Hebrews 11, it says about Moses that he considered the reproach of Christ a greater uh, a, a greater wealth than all the treasuries of Egypt because he was looking forward to the reward of Christ. He was a redeemer to the Israelites in Egypt. Jude 5 says, I want to remind you that though you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jude tells us it was Jesus that saved them and led them out. He is the rock in the wilderness 
He is, it's in Christ. And I've already read that to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 4. He is the rock that followed them. He is the king of Isaiah's temple. When Isaiah saw this temple in John 12, the Bible says he blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts in turn that I would heal them. That's Jesus quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of, of Christ and he spoke of him is what Jesus says about Isaiah. And all of this is important because the character of God and faith have not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You, you got to understand this. It, it, it's a trivia question. You can ask somebody, how, do people, how were the people in the Old Testament saved? How was Moses saved? How was Abraham saved? How was Job saved? How, how was Adam saved? How was any of the... They, by faith in Christ. They didn't know his name, but they knew he was the coming Messiah. You see, God has always been triune. He did not add someone at Bethlehem. He's always been all three. And the Father did not begin to need a mediator to speak to men at Christmas time. John 1, 1 through 14 says this was God's plan from the beginning that, this, that the word would put on flesh. And so faith has not changed fundamentally. It's never been about a plan it's always been about a person. You follow me? All right. You see, without this, our faith is shallow. But we have a God who had a plan for us. And I hope you've caught an, a, a, an inference from what I've said. If Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world in the mind of God, all he had to do was not make us. And he would not have to put on flesh and suffer and die. Do you understand he volunteered for this? Do you understand he said we're going to make them. And they're going to hate us. And I'm going to save them. And they went okay. How great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. You got to understand that. Well there are at least there are many times in the Old Testament where Jesus appeared in those three ways as a pattern, as a promise or a pledge, and he was present there, and he did all three at the same time. And I want to point three of those things out to you really fast. First of all, um, we see Jesus in the garden, the original garden, not the garden of Gethsemane. We see him in, there's two gardens in the Bible, right, that are very important, garden of Gethsemane and the garden of Eden. And there is man made perfect, no death. All he has to do is enjoy the food and just don't eat off that one tree. And what did man do? He ate off that one tree. He disobeyed God. He broke God's command. And we see a pattern because when, God, when Adam broke that command, the Bible says he sewed fig leaves together to try to cover his nakedness. But when Jesus shows up later, and, and, and listen to the, to the text, uh, he, he sewed together skins to make clothes for them. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. You and I are the guilty ones, right? Are you with me? All right, so it, let's, if you're a woman, pretend you're Eve. If you're a man, pretend you're Adam. Not really, but just think about that for a second. And God shows up in the garden, and he makes you know, I know, you know, Speaking like I'm God, I know what you did. He lets them know that. 
And there they are with fig leaves. He said, what, what are you up to? Well, we, we were ashamed and we hid. We realized we were naked. He said, who told you you were naked? And because he knew, he just wanted them to admit it. And then it says he sewed together animal skins to cover them. What innocent animal had to die for Jesus to sew clothes for them? You see, man has always been clothed in someone else's righteousness. I want you to catch this. Brother Joe led our Sunday school this morning. Man, he painted a great picture of that this morning. I really appreciate it. I told you it was in the sermon. (laughs) Just a great picture. We the guilty are robed by an alien righteousness. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here was the pledge. That was the pattern. Here's the pledge in the garden. In Genesis 3.15, he says to Satan, you're going to crawl in the... uh, on your belly in the dust, and I'm going to put enmity between, a a fight between your seed and her seed. The only woman who ever carried seed to have a baby was Mary. And it was put there by God the Holy Spirit for Mary to give birth to the Son of God. It was a miraculous birth. And there's the promise, her seed. But he was also present. Who is this Lord who walks in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. His favorite creatures. In Genesis 3, 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. John 1, 18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He made him known. The only one who lets us see God is Christ. And once you understand that, God is spirit, cannot be seen by man. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. We can't see him. We see the effect of him. But Jesus is the one that shows us the picture. And so he was patterned, he was promised, and he was present in that garden. Then then we go to Mount Moriah over in Genesis 22. And if you don't know where Mount Moriah is, this is where Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. Okay? You remember that? Abraham's uh, 99 years, or his wife's, uh, he's 100, he's 99, his wife's 90. And God says, okay, she's going to have a baby. And they both laughed, and so they named their son Laughter, who was born nine months later. Because God can do whatever he wants, right? Amen? I'm afraid I kind of lost y'all, but I want you to catch this. Here's the pattern. Who is this son, Isaac? Who is this kid? He's Abraham's beloved son. Remember, this is a pattern. Isaac's not Jesus. He's a pattern of Jesus. He is Abraham's son of promise. He is the special son. All the promises God gave Abraham are focused on Isaac. So if Isaac dies and God tells Abraham to kill him, for those promises to come true, God's going to have to, well... Raise Isaac from the dead. And the Bible says Abraham received him back as one risen from the dead. Because Abraham in his heart had to have already been obedient to even go through with this, right? Well, not only was he patterned. By the way, Isaac carried 
the wood for the sacrifice on his back up the tree, up the, uh, up the mountain. But he's also pledged. Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. Will is in the future. Didn't say the Lord did provide. He said the Lord will provide, right? But here's the present. But the angel of the Lord interrupts as Abraham's going to kill his son. The angel of the Lord, the Bible says, interrupts disobedience to God's command. Who is this angel that dares tell a man not to obey God? It was God. (laughs) That term, the angel of the Lord, refers to Jesus in the Old Testament at times. Who does it, you could ask, who does this guy think he is? But here's what it says in Genesis 22, 16, 17. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from him and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this, you did not withhold your son, your only son. I will bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And when he says this, He's, God calls himself here, the sent one means God from God. I will send, it means God coming from God himself. A little interesting note about that mountain. That's the, uh, that's the mountain that Jesus died on. It's the mountain of Jerusalem. We learned that in Chronicles when, I, when Solomon built the first temple, it's the same mountain that Abraham took Isaac up. And then Jesus burns at the bush. In Exodus 3, here's the pattern. Plants are used many times to refer to humans. Psalm 1, the righteous is like a tree planted by the streams of water and its leaf never withers and it produces fruit all the time. Right? What did Jesus do on the way into Jerusalem one day in the, in the Passion Week? He cursed the fig tree and it died. And they said, it died. He said, yeah, when you see the re-blossoming of the fig tree, you know the end's coming. Referring to people, referring to Jewish people coming back and being restored. So plants often have a metaphor with God's people. And, and where are God's people when Moses is in that wilderness? They're in persecution in Egypt. They are on fire. (laughs) Not literally, but figuratively, they are suffering in Egypt. And the great I am descends into a bush and makes it burn without being consumed. So he can say to Moses, I'm with you in your suffering. I get it. Jesus would come and suffer in all points like you and I are yet without sin. He came and he is not a stranger, we sang it this morning in a song, he is not an alien to the suffering of man. He suffered as we do. And the great I am came down to us, and the burning bush is a symbol of that. So he was promised here in Genesis 12, not only in Exodus 3 and Genesis 12, the seed of Abraham, both Israel and Jesus. Galatians 3.16 says, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. 
That's found in Galatians 3.16. The exodus is the illustration of the coming of Christ. And he was present there at the burning bush. You see, the name Yahweh occurs 6,800 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And Jewish people won't even say his name out loud. They, when they write the word God, they make G and a line and a D. They won't even spell out the word God. But he said, by that name, you're saved. He told us to call on that name. And so we, we understand that. You see, it means he, because that's where Moses said, who are you? He said, I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. He's the dweller in the burning bush, right? Deuteronomy 35, 16, the angel of the Lord who is himself the Lord. Exodus 3, 2, verse, chapter 3, verse 2, verse 6, verse 14. Jude can look back on the Exodus and say, Jesus is the one who took, saved his people out of the land of Egypt. He is present with them there. See, the Old Testament is a Christian scripture. Jesus is the true temple. He is the true lamb. He is the true priest, the true high priest. He's the true king. He's the true prophet. He is a true and better Joseph. He's the true and better David. He's the true and better Jonah. On and on and on to infinity. He is all in all. He is everything and all things are his. In Jesus, he is the seed You ever thought about this? He's the seed of the woman in Genesis 3. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the seed of David because he's going to be the king that comes. He is all of those things. What straddles the Old Testament and the New Testament is not a plan or a promise. It's a person. And the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the quote I said I would give you. Jesus unites the Bible. He is not absent from the Old Testament. Sitting on the bench, awaiting the fourth quarter to make the winning play. He is the player, coach, manager, directing all things. Throughout the Old Testament, he is the one and the only mediator of God Most High, marching purposefully toward his own incarnation. Jesus is Lord, always has been, always will be. I just want you to think about that. This isn't about a little baby being born. If Jesus was not God in eternity past, if he's not the God of the Old Testament, might as well be Buddha or Kung Fu Sei, Muhammad, some other religious leader, because there's tons of them. But there's only one Jesus. There's only one And he is the God from the beginning to the end. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the originator and the finisher. He that began a good work in you will complete it. He's the author and finisher of our faith in Hebrews 12. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He was, he is, and he is to come. There is no time that he was not. Well, what does all that mean for us? I mean, that's that's good preaching. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Great Bible study. Woo, let's go have lunch. I know, so I feel like I'm just doing a Bible study and y'all going, okay, that's good. Now what? Well, here's now what. If Jesus is the focus of all Scripture, is he the focus of your life? We get focused on a bunch of stuff, don't we? We came in here last night and we, we tried to present Christ. We had a lot of fun doing it. We, had, we, 
We did it in an entertaining way. We did it in a serious way all at the same time. It was great. You know what I did after that? I went home and watched Clemson beat North Carolina. I wasn't even thinking about Jesus, especially when we started winning. I was like, okay, God's got this one. All right, all right, finally. Right? You know, I'm, I'm trying to just illustrate it by being silly. Where's the focus of your life? Are you willing to give up everything for Jesus? We like to say, what does Jesus mean to you? Oh, he's everything to me. No, he's not. He's a part of your life. Is he the focus of your life? Do you live and move and have your being only in him? Is he the reason you get up? Is he the reason you eat the food you eat? Is he the reason you have the friends that you have? Is he the reason? And, 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 and by the way, that means you ought to have some friends that need to know him. Amen? I'll come to that one third. But I just want you to understand. Is he the reason you wear the clothes you wear? Is he the reason you work the job you work? We ought to be directed by him in all things that we are doing. Here's, here's the second thing you might do considering Jesus is everything. All scripture teaches us about Christ. What book is the focus of your study right now? Where are you every day opening the Bible say, Lord, teach me more out of this book. You're just systematically going through it and reading it, just writing down anything God's telling you. It, it doesn't have to be some super deep dive into one word. It, you can just get a blank notebook and a Bible and read and hmm that's interesting I wonder what that means or write it down or wow look look at how God is there write that down or ooh God's telling me to do that let me write that down if he's the focus of scripture shouldn't we be focused in the scripture on him so where are you reading and studying right now and the third thing I would say if Jesus came for all people who is it you're witnessing to he came for somebody that you know that does not know him. He came for somebody that's on their way to hell for you to interrupt their trip and tell them about him so they can get off that road and get on the right one. Who is that person? If you say, I don't know, okay, why don't you ask God, who are you putting in my life that I can tell them about you? Because, again, if he's the focus of our life, and in him we live and move and have our being, then he'll let us know that, won't he? 